oh my gosh. <laughs> I think to go through it alone would have been excruciating. I've never wanted to be a soul monk on the mountain, trust me, but. <laughs> and this pure disconnect of who we are as human beings with intellect and emotion. If you look at philosophers and, and Greek philosophers and Stoicism and things of that nature, there was a point in time where men were much more open to understanding their mind as well. I think that art got muddled somewhere along the way. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Armin. I don't know why it could, maybe it was the industrial revolution and then technology, but I think, I think you're right. I think we do see a little bit of shift back to understanding ourselves. I am so grateful you're producing it, and I know it takes effort, it takes intellect, it takes art, it takes energy, it takes finances to bring this message forward, and I'm so grateful your guests have been profound and deep, and you're the real thing, and I hope you continue on. Hey friends, you're tuned in to the Learn or Be Learned podcast, a show where wisdom meets curiosity in order to discover the human experience. I'm your host, Shiva D, and remember, you either learn from or you're learned from. Now, let's get back to the show. most important part <laughs> all right so that that might have been my roughest start yet but welcome back friends to another great episode today I have Susan Gold with us Susan thank you so much for being here it's a delight and Susan for the audience would you mind you know sharing a little bit backstory about yourself yeah not at all um so I grew up in the center of Pennsylvania in the sticks, just wanting to get to New York City as fast as I could. Um, I was in the middle of five with two pseudo adults doing the best they could at the helm. My dad was a genius astrophysicist, and he also had a little issue with alcohol and womanizing and uh, bulimia through exercise. My mother was trying to find soothing through food. She was a compulsive overeater and was treated with diet pills, which at the time was speed. Um, and she also may have had a mental illness. So it was a pretty chaotic and rough environment. Um, and it was cloistered. No one from the outside really knew what was going on inside and I left um, the morning after I graduated high school. I left at quarter to eight in the morning and I didn't go back often. That's often the hardest, right? When it looks normal from the outside, but it's only truly few people know what really happens behind closed doors. I think everybody likes to, I think to some extent everyone has, you know, problems that go on, but we like to give up a front like everything is perfect right I don't know yeah I I hope that's that's crumbling now I mean with my son's generation they're sort of 
I mean, way more open about mental health struggles and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, maybe there's there's hope for transparency. <laughs> right. I think that's I think um that's really important because we need a sense of community, sense of support, especially when you go through things such as yourself, right? And I wanna ask because that leads us to where we are today and you know, you wrote a book on this type of stuff because it truly has impacted your life. And, you know, what have you learned along the way through that journey? Well, I've learned a lot. I think I laid it down in talk therapy and it took a couple of decades off and on. Um, but I'm glad to have the storyline. And then what's really helped are more somatic forms of exploration. I hold a lot of body trauma um, mm-hmm. internally in pockets. Um, so that's what's really helped with actual shifting, you know, the neural pathways. But the book really was not my idea. You know, it's <laughs> so much time like dissecting yeah. all this um, because oh, yeah. I had issues, you know, that came up in young adulthood you know, they continue, right? That's life. That's, you know, part of life is that self-exploration and self-realization and opportunity for soul evolution, um, at least for me. But um, I was encouraged by by an Irish seer in 2007, probably before you were born, to write this book. And then um, I had two other intuitives make the same recommendation and the last one said well you have a lot to say you have three books to write (laughs) (laughs) is that the plan going (laughs) are you writing three books oh gosh let let's see what the the universe (laughs) has to say you know i i i i'm willing if that's what it takes um it was a great exercise you know i was a tv producer for a long time Mm -hmm. and you're a bulldog in the trench, just making things happen. I, you know, I used to come in at eight and they'd say one thirty PM today. We have a live hit. We need a black, a white and an Hispanic with opposing points of view on this issue. Go, you know, so <laughs> kind of. you're like, yeah, you, let me just find that real quick. <laughs> yeah. You kind yeah. of expected to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's the modality i played out in writing the book you know I'd spend 15 minutes a day at the computer whether I had something to write or not and it was it was cool to get a first pass but I didn't feel connected to that story until really a wise mentor said you know why don't you go back and take a pass from you know that inner child in your heart that's lived through all this that really experienced it and that's when everything sort of fell into place and so what became, does that mean? you know, a puzzle. Like a pass. Um, so take another right. Okay. Look gotcha. at the manuscript and you know, make edits, rewrite it from little Susie's point of view. hmm And that's okay. when it became real. Mm-hmm. Did you go through much of this self-awareness journey on your own or did you have a support system? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think to go through it alone would have been excruciating. I've never right. wanted to be a soul monk on the mountain, trust me, but 
um, yeah, no, I've had a lot of help, a lot of teachers that I'm really grateful for. I'm very fortunate in that I'm very open um, and willing to try all sorts of things. But initially it was traditional talk therapy and I was guided in that direction because my life was like completely out of control, totally unmanageable. I had abusive relationships that I couldn't extricate myself from. I took a slug from a wine jug, just like my dad used to, you know, from the whiskey bottle at 7.30 uh -huh. a.m. <laughs> I wanted to ask for a raise at work and, you know, couldn't seem to do it any other way. My goals mm -hmm. were sort of falling by the wayside and my friends were becoming more nefarious and a little bit more fair weather type. Why so is that? I knew I knew something was up. Well, I was associating with a different frequency. Let's just mm -hmm. put it that way. I I was very ebullient. I was very dreamy. And when I first arrived in New York City and I sort of let life experience um spin me down a little bit on the spiral i had no semblance of self i was like a chameleon i was who you wanted me to be for mm. love for attention for what i thought was approval and i learned that early on um in my upbringing so a, a general like level sense of playing field right. and you know, a platform for for knowing who I was. Um, that was much later in right. my church. So are you saying you saw a sense of drifting apart due to, you know, maybe were your dreams different? Were you dreaming big or I was still was it... I was still dreaming big, but mm -hmm. I think my dreams became more fantasy as I started to play out this this vision that more matched the home that I grew up in than where I wanted to go as a child. And luckily, I could see the signs. And luckily, I asked for help and was guided to the perfect place. It led me to get clean. Um, and four and a half years later, it led me to treatment for clinical depression which I struggled with off and on for 10 years until I learned about clinical depression and the signs and how to manage it. And I'm happy to say I've been off medication for decades, but I was grateful that it was there as a tool when I needed it. Mm -hmm. And I was led into silent meditation. I'm a longtime meditator and also endurance sports, marathons, triathlons, mm -hmm. um, which had its pluses and also had its downsides. <laughs> well, well, as you can of imagine. Course. Right. You know, I really was excited about this conversation because I believe self-awareness is so important. And I think today more than ever before, it's looked over, especially because when anyone has a moment of silence to their own mind, we just run to the next thing to escape, whether that's yeah. on our phones, you know, when we're eating, we might watch TV. When we're in the car, we'll listen to music. You're almost never alone with your thoughts anymore. And I think that's led the generations to come in a predicament. It makes it harder to express 
yourself and truly find who you are. I think one of the most painful moments was I went into a restaurant with my with my son. He was in his teens, and there was a family at the other table, a family of four, and they were all doing, you know, this on their phones, <laughs> like looking down. And right. I don't know, maybe they were texting each other at the table. I'm not sure, but was, I've seen that was, before. I've seen you've that. Seen it, yeah. Right? People texting and, each other, yeah. Yeah, and it's just this whole sterile disconnect. And this pure disconnect of who we are as human beings with intellect and emotion and beauty and exquisite power within. Right. And a small portion of communication is verbal. A lot of it is nonverbal, right? The the way someone says it, the delivery, the the body language, which is all lost through text. I think so. I mean, for for me and probably you too, or you wouldn't be doing what you're doing right now, or you probably wouldn't have gone to school for anthropology, I would imagine. But <laughs> I was like super intuitive as a mm. little kid. And I think I think many of us are. And I think mm. I think for many of us that gift is being reactivated and we're sort of tuning into that. And I think, I think dialing down the digital trauma and cacophony will really help bring us right. back to that point of, of balance as a society. So, so the chaos was intense in my home and my mother could be very loving, like very kind. And then the next minute, she could be grabbing your arm with her thumb, like penetrating the little bone and shaking you until you almost pass out. So I learned to intuit and understand to an astute degree body language and mm -hmm. feeling, sensing energetic shifts. I could see by her eyes. I could tell by the frequency of the body that there could be trouble a be a brew right and i knew how to stay mom and take cover and pray my name wouldn't be called that's really interesting because i think part of the ability to develop a very strong intuition has to come from a sense of need for it i don't think i don't think I don't know what well, maybe from your experience you can tell me differently but it seems as though anyone that can develop a strong sense of intuition had a need to develop it in the first place actually i think we all have it yeah i, I do i think it's but do we natural... all develop it uh, no no mm. um and perhaps you're right perhaps there was a need i don't know that's mm. that would be an interesting study yeah right so you know you talked about meditation quite a bit so far. I'd like to get into that idea because I think that's really important when it comes to self-awareness and understanding your mind. Like we said, people escape very frequently and very easily nowadays. So what was that meditation journey like when you started? Was it kind of, oh, no, this isn't, you know, what could this possibly do? And, you know, I, I assume, you know, 
even with me, when, when I first heard about meditation, it's like just sitting there and doing nothing. Like, how could that possibly do anything for you? Right. It's, it feels so easy that it couldn't possibly work almost. <laughs> well, I think the first experience was a half day sit in um, my, one of my therapists, she was a long time meditator as well. And she did a half hour work, I mean, half day workshop in her apartment in New York City. And I thought I was going to die. I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this. This is a waste. I can hear the car horns. There's nothing silent in my head. So like, yeah. like the thoughts were so intense. And then I moved to LA and like found, uh, uh, it was Vipassana style. So I sat in Vipassana and, mm -hmm. and did very focused work sitting. And, and the teacher was super scientific. At every retreat, he'd have a different strategy on, you know, the focus. And and then ultimately I said to him, you know, yeah, I, I feel internal, but what about all this stuff out here? Like I can really feel out here, like probably three feet from my being there's all you know colors and all sorts of things going i don't know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> i think we're moving on from here yeah. so my meditation practice became much different it became less about the cushion and it became more about just breathing and being in the moment noticing my arms and my legs Noticing when I was in conversation with you, for example, anticipating what your question might be mm. before I finish my response or mm. listening to your question, but not really listening, rather formulating my genius academic response that's going to come flying <laughs> out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. So... Yeah, so it's it's more about just noticing and, and I'm not judgmental. I have nothing formal. You know, I just I sat for twenty minutes just out of the blue before our conversation and it sort of just happened naturally. But I don't think I've sat for twenty minutes probably in, you know, I don't know, ten days. I look a lot at the mountains, I look at the sun, I appreciate nature, I watch the wind blow through the prairie year. You know, I watch mm -hmm. the sun colors change as as the sun rises those are all meditations and also being with strangers mm -hmm. you know i'll just sit and just breathe and tune in and just be very present right so in college i did this biological anthropology research in kenya and it was the first time I had been, as I describe it, attuned to nature. And it was the most life-changing experience I'd ever had at that point in my life. Because, you know, for two decades plus, it was, you know, fast-paced society, you know, constantly surrounded by people and technology. And you know, so although technology wasn't as prominent as it is now, there were still, you know, those massive computers and things like that. Yeah. We were still surrounded by it you know, as I grew up and it was a very fast paced world. And for the first time, everything felt like it just flowed and it was present rather than what's next, what's next, what am I going to do? It was, you know, enjoying the, the long walks on the sand and, 
and listening to the waves. And it was uh, super surreal. It was the first time I realized that I do believe nature is important to our well-being. And the more detached you are, I think the more mental health problems can start to arise from that alone. I'm just so grateful that you have that experience. And it is profoundly surprising to me that, you know, there are many of your generation and the generations below that just, they don't, that connection has been trained out of them. Mm-hmm. But I'm hopeful that it comes back and people see the meaning of it. And there is plenty of nature on this planet to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that, you know, over time, more information like this is shared between people. So people start to, you know, think, hmm, maybe there is something to it and try it for themselves because there is a lot of science behind, even for those that are interested, right? Science behind how nature impacts your body and your well being. So, you know, what are some of the self care that you do that's in nature? Well, just. When I, when I get the opportunity to ground, I love it. I, there was a woman who was so impactful in my career and she did not stop running. Her central nervous system was on overdrive. She was highly accomplished, but we used to meet occasionally to, to, you know, go to a park and have a sandwich together. And one of those lunch hours I said let's sit on this grass like it was Mm -hmm. a beautiful July day Mm -hmm. and we sat there for 45 minutes and she was chatting and chatting you know (laughs) as she did and then all of a sudden she said oh my gosh and her breathing you know slowed she said I feel like I've had a full body massage and I said, yeah, I think you just experienced grounding and yeah. earthing. I've looked into that idea quite a bit, actually. And there is some science to suggest that the earth emits this slight negative charge and then your body kind of absorbs it. And, you know, we have this thing called oxidative stress, which is positive charges in your body. So it attracts and you know, to the audience listening, I would say don't knock it till you try it. Because if you think about it, most people feel very calm after the beach. When they go to the beach and they come back, they feel incredibly calm because, you know, their feet's in the sand and, and they, you know, listening to the waves. And there is a yeah. sense of, I think there is some science there. I think there is something that's truly impactful to the human body. There's a lot of science and the science is becoming more available. Um, and there's all sorts of light and frequencies that we're open to now and that are flooding the planet. I don't know about you, but I've been taking a lot of naps lately out of nowhere. <laughs> I'm very tired, Had have had body aches and, you know, brain fog. And um, I think it's the amping up of the frequencies and the light. Mm-hmm. I've been drinking quite a bit of caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, I when I was in Kenya, there is 
you know, these children, I'd say roughly around the ages of maybe four to eight, 10 years old. And, uh, you know, they, they like to interact with, you know, foreigners. And we were just talking or, you know, the short form of talking we were able to do because we didn't speak the same language. And uh, they asked, they asked me to come with them to show me something. And these kids were all running through the grass, flat, plain grass. And I had taken off my shoes for some reason. And I took a few steps in the grass and I start like bouncing because there's thorns in these grass and there's thorns everywhere. There's thorns in the flowers, there's thorns in grass, there's thorns in the tree in Kenya. It's, it's crazy. There's thorns everywhere. And these kids are just like laughing at me. They just thought it was the most hilarious thing that my feet couldn't walk on their grass and they just rocked like it was nothing. And they're like eight years old. So they just like are laughing hysterically. I'm like bouncing up and down cause it's like painful. So I had to like put on shoes <laughs> and, uh, it's just interesting to me that, you know, the human body is so adaptable, but I think we've detached so much so from society that we're uncalibrated in a way. Oh, I'm right there with you. I mean, just my own personal experience with that is, you know, I was an athlete, a master's athlete, an adult athlete, very accomplished, again, grabbing self-esteem from the wrong butt bucket perhaps but nonetheless and then I got to the place where I couldn't even walk around the block without excruciating pain and I knew you know I'm of the age if I went to a western medical profession they'd say insert titanium you know here's the date and I didn't want to go that route I I wasn't willing and it wasn't the easier softer way it wasn't the shortest way And I had a couple of years where I was in chronic pain, but I did not focus on the pathology. I focused on the muscle and eventually I found healing. Um, And I just, I just say, you know, it's just so simple. Well, I'm on a time timeline. I need to play tennis next week with my partner. So just cut me open now and fix my wrist, you know? The, the human body is amazing and our ability to heal is amazing. Our ability to intuit, our ability to dream and envision and create. And I believe we have everything we need inside to yeah. really live prosperously and abundantly as a global community. Mm-hmm. And I think in order to get there, we need to align the mind, body, and spirit. Because even if you look at Western diet, it's it's almost atrocious, actually, if you look at it the way that FDA just kind of interferes and allows things that shouldn't be allowed. And coming from, I was born in India, raised in the U.S., but I go back to India frequently. And even there, I noticed that a lot of the chemicals and products used in everyday products here are banned in India, and they're banned in many other countries as well, like the food coloring used in a lot of these you know, candies and stuff like that. So it's a little, it's a little nervous, nerve-wracking, I would say, being in the United States because you have to almost think independently 
whether you should or shouldn't do something. You have the choice to do it. And I, I agree wholeheartedly there. And I think a lot of our illness comes from those food. I can't even, I don't even want to call it food. And you know, like <laughs> maybe a better word is plastic perhaps. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think, I think our food system, our healthcare system, certainly our education system, our banking system or government system. I think a lot of our systems may need a little revamping, a little exploration, a little gentle upgrade. Um, And I, I really feel we're being led in that direction. A lot of people that I know are a little apprehensive and feeling a lot of fear and I'm actually focusing on the hope and the belief of a positive transformation. I know that the trauma that I've been able to transform in my own being and where that's led to such freedom now as an adult. I mean, I've, I've come full circle. My mom's gone, but my dad's still here. My brother that was horribly abusive my sister, who, you know, I love and adore, and my two young brothers, we have a relationship. We have interaction. You know, my book is called Toxic Family, but I don't feel that way about my family. My title was actually Magical Illumination because that's what I feel this discovery has been. And I'm grateful for all those players because they've created another reality for me. They've They've given me the opportunity, as long as I was willing to take it, to step up mm-hmm. and address what wasn't working for me and to see it in a new light. And I mm-hmm. feel like that is the same opportunity we have as a global population to sort of step out of the matrix that was not to our benefit and to create something that is, and I, I see that happening, and and that keeps me very hopeful in these mm-hmm. times. Right, you know, going back to the idea of self awareness a little bit, what exercises or practices helped you gain more understanding of yourself? So I, I writing, and and I was never. I mean, I was told I was a writer, you know, Fox News Channel in the newsroom. <laughs> Look at gold. Just write the way gold does, you know. <laughs> but um I I think what's really helped is um and this is something that Lee Harris um gave me, who's also a teacher, just I open a journal and I just or my notes in my phone or, you know, on the computer. And I just sit, I take a breath. And I say, what would my soul have me know today? And I just write whatever comes up. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it's kind of, okay, this is the same dumb message. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to do with anything. But, but, um, yeah, I'm really surprised by day 21, how much, you know, the writing's (laughs) clear and, and helped me shift and open me to other considerations mm-hmm. and I didn't even need, you know, ayahuasca to to do it. 
<laughs> shaman. Yeah, right, or a shaman. <laughs> well, that too. I mean, they serve their purpose, right? You yeah, know, yeah. To whatever, whatever way works for you to get there, honestly. Like, I, who am I to judge? Those sound really intense. I've, I've, I've heard stories having a shaman there and doing ayahuasca. That sounds, it sounds, because apparently you quite literally purge. You're, like, you vomit because it's, I don't know, maybe the body can't physically handle what you're drinking or whatever. And then you go through the experience and it sounds very intense. <laughs> so for me, that, that intuitive voice is super loud on that. Like, I think I was in fifth grade when they showed us the movie of, of someone flipping out from an acid trip and jumping out like a skyscraper in the city and Gosh. like, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. Like it always scared me. Even when uh -huh. I was, you know, experimenting, I, I knew I couldn't go that direction. So I feel the same about, you know, the ayahuasca stuff. And, um, I knew that wasn't for me, but I have done traditional native American sweat lodges with, you know, uh, a leader, um, who was really magnificent. And that's, yeah, that's definitely helped me. I did, I, did hot yoga for mm -hmm. way too many years and that was also a transformational experience um really? i think we all yeah mm -hmm. yeah but I as think opposed it, to regular it, yoga like yeah is it, okay. yeah so i did ashtanga for a lot of years which was really beautiful but it turned out like super hard on my joints and i really love to sweat um, so like going in a hot room at 105 degrees or a little more, um, was fun for me. It just felt natural. My body seemed to take to it like a duck to water, mm -hmm. um, until it didn't, but it just felt like, yeah, some kind of amazing cleansing. But I think I also became addicted to it because I do have an addictive personality. Um, so I can... <laughs> I can take almost anything out to, <laughs> to the max. <laughs> well, I like the idea that you mentioned about writing. And, you know, when you first start, it does feel a little, I would say, unproductive. It doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. But something that helped me was almost writing as if I'm talking to somebody, like like a conversation rather than trying to express it in the form of eyes instead of saying, you know, I feel this, I feel that talking to somebody else like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm going through. And then it's like, then you flip the script and you're like, okay, well, why are you going through that? As if you're having like a conversation. And that seemed to really help me dig a little deeper when it came to ideas for sure. Wow. That's such a beautiful tool. Mm -hmm. And, um, I love that you shared that. Um, and it also triggered a memory for me. Like when I was five, I had this imaginary uncle Eddie that used to come mm -hmm. to visit me. And I used to talk with him, like having a conversation about things that were going on and, you know, how I could be helped. And yeah, it was almost the same dialogue mm -hmm. that you've just described, but I haven't tried that. I want to try that. Yeah. yeah, that's it. That's it it really idea. helped me get into this flow state of writing to understand myself because you just start asking yourself the same questions as if it, you were speaking to a friend or 
you know, even directing it at someone has helped as well. Thinking of someone in mind when you write, when you write it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Have you done any other, cause you mentioned, okay, meditation, writing, yoga, are these the main ways that most people obtain higher self-awareness? Um, well, if you can do it through humming, like humming creates a frequency and it lifts your frequency. Sometimes don't tell anybody, but <laughs> I go in I go in the center of my living room, you know, where there's no furniture, and I put <laughs> my arms out and I spin around, you know, like little kids on the playground. I uh -huh. spin around and it just I feel so happy. <laughs> you don't get dizzy? I, do I can't well, do that. Yeah. That's all part of it though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I don't fall I, yeah, down. except Except I get motion sickness, so if I did that, I would fall. Oh. <laughs> I would just collapse. <laughs> but I've always sort of kept that childlike, you know, curiosity and and sense of fun. Um, and I think that's what's helped me stay ebullient and grounded on the planet for as long mm. as I have. Because... I, I know there are exit points for all of us along the way, and mm -hmm. I can recollect more than several. Um, I think my first fascination with the possibility of suicide was when I was six. I was in the kitchen, and I opened the cabinetry and saw the chopping block with the knives in it, and I, I took out a knife and just surveyed the blade with, with fascination and wondering. You know, what would, what would it be like if I could just lance that blade through my heart? This would mm. all be older. And then my mother came in screaming and we shut the knife back in and, and put it back. But if I didn't have that light within me, I think I would have been out of here on an earlier train. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> but I meant to stay. I meant to stay. And and I think, you know, the the exercise of writing this book, um, speaking to amazing people through podcasts and just the experience of putting the pieces together as I have now after a lot of self-reflection and examination and help, I feel like this is my purpose. I mean, my career has been amazing, right? I had a lot of flashy celebrities that I worked with and a lot of great opportunities. And, right. I saw and some movies. of those in your bio with the, the Phineas and Ferb project and things like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's There's awesome. a lot of, lot of stuff. Yeah. Mm. I did a lot, but I feel like this is my purpose. This was the reason for all that I've walked through and lived mm -hmm. through. And the, the whole topic is taboo of, you know, toxic family. That's, that's taboo. And I feel like creating conversation around it and, you know, really sharing experience to inspire others to share theirs as well and start to look at things that may feel shameful mm -hmm. um, or secret can lead to 
dropping a lot of stuff that doesn't belong to us, right? right. And to to live like right. with wings rather than weights. Right, that's so true. Another thing is I'm hoping that over time we can go back to having civil discourse about topics that right now feel a bit taboo, whether it's politics, religion, spirituality, diet. I mean, there's a lot of topics that people are hesitant to speak on. And if we don't speak on it, how are we ever going to grow as humanity, you know, in a right direction? We're just either going to stay stagnant or slowly go backwards. I think well, that's sort of and evolution. There's a, right? Yeah, there's, there's mm. been a pull. I, I think there's been a pull away from that transformation parency there's almost been a cloak of censorship in mm. in all areas of being human walking a human journey and and i feel like that cloak is starting to get peeled back you know the weighted blanket is coming on <laughs> right that's why on the podcast cover i put discovering the human experience because after that transformative journey in Kenya, I realized there's a lot more that than a lot more to life than meets the eye that we are so just how, kind how of did your, into. Yeah, really. How did your how did your life change after you came back on the plane? How did your own life change as a result of that experience? Well when I first came back, I tried to hold on to that euphoria of bliss that I felt that when I was attuned to nature, but very quickly I realized my body adjusted to life's luxuries like air conditioning and <laughs> cold beverages again, and just literally everything within a matter of weeks, I was back to who I was in a, in a small manner. And then I spent the next few years really just kind of frustrated as to trying to figure out how to feel like that again. You know, I tried, I would experiment. I would try, okay, I'm just going to take cold showers every day, see if that did it. Okay, I'm going to, you know, drink only warm water every day, see if that Mm -hmm. did it. Um, And I think ultimately I'm at the point where I realized I don't think it was just one thing. I think it was a synergistic, you know, whole of everything to create what felt like not just attuned with nature but attuned with who I was as you know a better understanding of my body and my mind because of the lifestyle that I was in so you know once I realized that I took a step back and thought okay well then that means you know I need more work on self-awareness self-care and things of that nature, right? Whether it's working out to keep your body healthy or writing to keep your mind healthy and then, you know, thinking to keep your spirit healthy, I guess. I'm so grateful you shared that because that's, it's so helpful to hear, you know, especially coming from the mind skeleton, right? Mm -hmm. We don't get to hear that enough. And I just think that's such profound messaging. (laughs) 
Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So you say, you know, you don't hear it as often from the masculine perspective. That's something I've actually observed myself. I don't think we see as many men willing to accept a spiritual journey. Have you noticed that? Well, I th I think, you know, the, the training is pretty rigorous, right? Mm -hmm. Big boys don't cry, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, th I think that the indoctrination kind of doesn't help, but I I feel like more has been unraveling, and I think we're headed to more openness and right. more feminine merging with the masculine, right? Right, like a balance. Yeah, I mean, I no. had I had an overdeveloped sense of masculine, mm -hmm. and it's not been easy for me to surrender and pepper in more femininity mm -hmm. in her. Oh, I bet. You know, but if we even look back at it, I would say if you look at philosophers and, and you know, Greek philosophers and Stoicism and things of that nature, there was a point in time where men were much more open to understanding their mind as well. I think that art got muddled somewhere along the way. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Armin. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it could... Maybe it was the industrial revolution and then technology, but I think I think you're right. I think we do see a little bit of shift back to understanding ourselves. Yeah, because it just doesn't work. <laughs> men, are, men are broken, broken. Yeah, right. You know, and the only way to heal is to to truly look inwards. Yeah. So you know, Susan, this show is called learn or be learned. So I want to ask one final question, which is what is one big lesson that either you learned from someone or you want the audience to learn from your own life? Well, I think for me, um, the greatest lesson is to be true to who I am, regardless of other opinions or frailties. So I think that the real truth for me has been to step into that small, still voice who has my best intentions in heart, and then to be brave enough to say, yeah, I'm going to follow you. And I wish I would have done that <laughs> at 20 <laughs> rather than 50, but I'll take it. You know, we all have our own journeys, right? There's probably a, there's probably a purpose as to why your journey happened the way it unraveled. Yeah, but I think next time I'm going to look at that fine print a little bit <laughs> before I end it. Right. <laughs> Well, Susan, thank you so much for being on this show. I had a blast. I am so grateful you're producing it. And I know it takes effort. It takes intellect. It takes art. It takes energy. It takes finances yeah. to bring this message forward. And 
I'm so grateful your guests have been profound and deep and you're the real thing and I hope you continue on. Thank you.